Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Bruce, Myra, and the team just for honoring us. I mean, of course, we should be honoring you guys for the, the last 14 years we've had just to be part of this, this community. You know, it's always important when you, you join a church that, I mean, you must love the people, love the leadership. And I mean, in this local church, we can testify about the leaders. They run hard after Jesus, and you can follow them with confidence. And the life of God is in this local church. It's very important whenever you, you do join a church, the life of God must be there. And this church is outstanding in demonstrating the life of God. So it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey for us. And we just thank you for the privilege we've had to be part of this this community. So thank you too for allowing me to speak one last time. <laughs> to the guests that are here today, it's fantastic that you could join us. We, we really are very happy you could be with us. Just an apology to the guests though, I'm not going to be preaching, it's sort of more teaching and a Bible study, so thanks for your understanding. And to the Lighthouse community, just thank you for extending grace to me and allowing me to do a little bit of a Bible study today. So thank you for that. So I'm going to talk about the pathway of the goodness of God. How would you define the word good? Well, this rich young ruler, so he had everything. He had wealth, he was young, he had power. And he comes to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus reply to him? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good and that is God. See, so when the young man questioned Jesus about goodness, Jesus didn't explain to him a concept of goodness, but he pointed him to a person, God, who is good and who does good things. And the character of God just reveals to us something of the goodness. You see, it's a character that combines a lot of qualities, love, mercy, grace, patience, faithfulness, just holiness, wrath, all in perfect balance. And the biblical meaning, when they translate the word good, it has a whole lot of meanings. You know, it includes pleasant, beneficial, fitting, beautiful, honorable. And this is best expressed through, of course, God. He perfectly demonstrates all of the qualities of goodness and also in the life of Jesus. Jesus went around doing what? He went around doing good because God is with him. So before we get started, when I mention the word good to you, what scriptures pop into your mind? Well, if you husbands, you'll immediately think of what? Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. It's an incredible verse. I mean, if you think about it, there's my wife, beautiful wife, all her qualities, her grace, just walking in faith with God, loving God, loving people, praying for people, always seeing the best in people. All her qualities, 
God describes in one word. Good. You have found what is good, and she's to be treasured as a gift from me, the Lord. Maybe when you think of the word good, you think of creation. Because God saw that he had made, and everything was very good. Everything God created is good. Maybe for some of you, when you think of the word good, you think of your Christian journey that was birthed in the goodness of God. Because it was God's kindness and his goodness that brought you to repentance in Romans 2.4. And you think back to the days before you were saved. In those days, you were a tough cookie. It took time for God to save you. But you took the invitation of God from Psalm 34, which said what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's when you started your journey. And now, like David, you can testify that you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. The verse that Bruce shared this morning, some of these also look at Psalm 18, but how abundant are the good things you sought up for those who fear you. And you can testify, this is, the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Won't you for a moment turn to the person next to you and say, good morning. Okay, what did you just say? Well, we need someone from who speaks British English. Mr. Gibson. God be with you in the morning. What does good afternoon mean, Ian? God be with you. What does good night mean? God be with you as you go to bed in the night. Every night when you lay your head down, it rests on the pillow. <laughs> Of God's goodness. That's what it means. Now, there's a bold truth in the Bible, and it's often difficult for us to understand, but it says what? God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Now, sometimes life is just so hard. Death of a loved one, sickness, pressures of life, challenges, and God tells us that in these times, we need to hold fast to the simple truth that God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good, because there's never a time when God is not good. That's what the Bible teaches us. God's essential goodness is foundational to an understanding of his nature. You see, God is not just good some of the time. Maybe only at 10 past 12, as the clock says. He's good all the time. And not only is he good all the time, but God is continuously and consistently good. Now, James explains it this way. James says the following. He says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change 
like shifting shadows. So what is the picture that James is giving us? The picture gives us is of a sundial. And as the sun moves, the shadow on the dial changes as the hours pass by. James said, God is not like that. God is like the sun at midday. And at that point, the shadow does not move because God is unchanging in his bright goodness. That's how James explains it to us. You see, God is good because he's always there for us. In the good times, the bad times, the difficult times, the dire times, the challenging times, the times of change, the times of waiting, whatever season in our life, God is there for us. That's why he's good. You see, it's not often what God does, but it's who he is. It's his very nature. David said, your goodness and tender love pursue me all the days of my life. And we know Romans 8, 28, in all, when you say all, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And the one translation puts it this way. It says, we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. You see, because God is good, he always acts in alignment of his character. And that means that he always acts with goodness to us in ways that make us for better, that restore us, that heal us, that encourage us so that we can overflow with hope by the power of his spirit. No good thing does he withhold from he whose walk is blameless. You see, this verse tells us that God delights in being good to us. He longs to be good to us. He loves being good to us. That's his nature. He has always been good. He's good now, and he will always be good. That's what the Word of God teaches us. So with that background, and I needed to explain that background, I'm going to start, and this morning we're going to look at the pathway of the goodness of God. You see, our Heavenly Father has prepared a pathway for each of us, a pathway of goodness, and it's marked with only the best that our Heavenly Father has for you and provided for us. And to me, the passage that helps me understand the goodness of God best is from Acts 2, 1 to 12. So let's, let's read that together. So Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. At the time, there were devout Jews from every nation 
living in Jerusalem, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are. And this is the key verse we're going to look at. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, areas around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. How, what can this mean? They asked each other. So each heard the goodness of God in their own language. So a quick little background. Bruce actually explained it this morning. Day of Pentecost. What were they commemorating on the day of Pentecost? As Bruce explained, the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Shavuot, and it means 50th day because it occurred 50 days after the Passover. The Passover is when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and as the angel went past the doorpost that was sprinkled with blood, the angel passed over them. God brought them out of Egypt. 50 days later, at Mount Sinai, what happened? God presented them with the Torah, the law. And that's what they were celebrating. So in Acts 2, for 13 centuries, 1300 years, every year on this day of Pentecost, the Jews would gather together in Jerusalem and they would celebrate God giving them the law, the Torah. That's what they were there for. So all these Jews had gathered in Jerusalem. Now, here's the interesting point. So here we've got these 120 Jesus followers filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking in languages of the visitors, the Jewish visitors from different nations, languages of the Jewish that the Galilean Jews had absolutely no idea what they were saying. And they were speaking about the goodness of God to these Jews. So here's the question that is key to what we're going to look at this morning. Acts, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Why did Luke, he mentions 15 nations by name. Why does Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, mention each of the names of the nations that were present? Why not just simply say that Jews from 15 nations all around Jerusalem heard the goodness of God in their own language. Doesn't that make sense? Why did Luke not say that? Why did he list these, you can't see that too clearly, but there's 15 nations that Luke mentions. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Pontus, and so on. Does anyone know why? Why not just say Jews from 50 nations surrounding around Jerusalem all heard the goodness of God in their own language? 
Well, the reason for that is the following, is that each of these nations revealed to us a beautiful facet of the pathway of the goodness of God. It is incredible when you open up the scripture and each of these nations reveal to us something incredible about the goodness of God. I'm just going to pick five of the nations just to give you a sample. Is that okay? So let's start off. Okay, I've picked you. You can't see that, I don't think, but Mesopotamia, if your eyes are like mine. Let's pick Mesopotamia in the middle. For each of the nations, we're going to ask three questions. Reading a bit of a Bible study. Again, apologies to the guests. We're going to ask three questions. Who comes from Mesopotamia? Why did God give the believers a language to speak to the Jews from Mesopotamia? And what did they need to be reminded of on the pathway of the goodness of God? So, who comes from Mesopotamia? Abraham, a father of the faith. So, Abraham speaks of the promises of God. Abraham speaks of God's covenant, his calling, that he will fulfill the good purposes in our lives. So, the Jews from this area needed to be reminded that as they look back on the pathway of the goodness of God to Abraham and his descendants, they need to be reminded of what? Of the promises and the purposes of God in our lives. As you walk on the pathway of the goodness of God, that he will carry to completion the good work he has started in us. You see, as they look back, they could see that the pathway of the goodness of God was carpeted with what? The good promises of God. And God was reminding them, just look back. Go back to the beginning of your faith and look at the good promises of God to you. Now, who else came from Cappadocia? I'm sorry, who else came from Mesopotamia? The Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were a vicious nation, a violent people. They invaded Judah. We read it in Kings, Chronicles, Isaiah. Uh, very wicked, godless people. The capital of Assyria was what? Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was called the city of blood because it was a violent city. Joburg's very peaceful compared to Nineveh. They were a thoroughly wicked people. And yet, what did God do? He sends a prophet Jonah to remind the people that there are no outcasts. Everybody can be on the pathway of the goodness of God. It's available to outsiders. No one is exempt from the pathway of the goodness of God. This is very important. That as Jonah was called, was sent to call Nineveh to repentance, Jesus was called to send, to bring those far away from God back to God. Now, the Jews in Mesopotamia felt like they were outsiders, didn't belong. So they needed to be reminded 
that the gracious hand of God extends even to outsiders, that he wants all to be saved, and that he longs for all to walk on the pathway of the goodness of God. You see, they needed to be reminded that there are no outsiders. Everybody is welcome. All are invited. And as we walk on the pathway of the goodness of God, we walk hand in hand with a God who, like with Nineveh, is gracious, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's what they needed to be reminded of. And that's what these Jesus followers, the Galilean Jews, spoke in their language to them. So let's take number two. I've gone now to the far on the east, Elam. And we're going to ask the same questions, the same three questions. Who comes from Elam? Why did God give the believers a language to speak to the Jews from Elam? What did they need to be reminded of on the pathway of God's goodness? So who comes from Elam? You remember, Elam was one of the sons of Noah. And the Elamites stood as a testimony of the goodness of God, just rescuing them. Now, the capital of Elam was a city called Susa. It was a very famous city in, 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 in the ancient, uh, ancient East. And who came from Susa? Well, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. And Nehemiah prayed for Jerusalem in ruins, and he had on his heart to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and by the gracious hand of God, that's what happened. The city of Susa was home to an orphan girl, Esther, and she became queen because she walked on the pathway of God's goodness, and God did something amazing, and he saved a nation through an orphan girl. Daniel came from Susa. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel walked on the pathway of the goodness of God, and he refused to throw away his confidence in God, and because of his faith in God, they threw him into the lion's den, and God closed the jaws of the lion. So here we get a picture. Ordinary people, cupbearer, an orphan girl, the servant of God. And what is the common factor? The common factor is all of them. Is that on the pathway of the goodness of God, they are ordinary people, but we walk hand in hand with an extraordinary God who shepherds and fathers us and delights in our well-being. That is what they needed to be reminded of. The pathway of the goodness of God, we walk with an extraordinary God. In fact, there are no ordinary people on the pathway of his goodness because all on his pathway are the apple of his eye, his treasured possession, a seal upon his heart, dearly loved by God, as Bruce shared this morning. So they needed to be reminded that on the pathway of the goodness of God, it's paved and it's carpeted by an extraordinary God. 
That's what they needed to be reminded of. Let's take a third country. I've picked one in the north. I've picked Pontus. So let's ask the same questions. Who comes from Pontus? Why did God give the believers a language to speak to the Jews from Pontus? And what did they need to be reminded of on the pathway of the goodness of God? So who comes from Pontus? Myra, who comes from Pontus? The Hittites. The name Hittite meant terror. The Hittites were giants. And wherever they went, they brought fear, confusion, and discouragement to others. So God reminded the Jews from Pontus of his goodness to them in defeating the giants. Is it incredible? And God gave to these Jews from Pontus this encouragement because they were fearful of the giants they were currently facing in their life. So all of us have giants we face now and again. And what did God remind them of? What did God tell them? See, God reminded them that on the pathway of the goodness of God, we serve a giant of a God. A God who's for us, who's not against us. A God who quietens our fears, stills our heart, emboldens us, puts courage into our hearts. That's what they needed to be reminded of. You see, they needed to know. Let me come back to that in a moment. You see, on this pathway of the goodness of God, it's carpeted with encouragement. And if you look back at these 15 nations, there's something that distinguishes the Hittite nation. Who are their descendants today? Let me ask Myra again. Myra, who are the descendants of the Hittites? They don't exist. They've been wiped out. Completely wiped out. You see, God gave a language to the believers to speak to the Jews from Pontus that when the giants of discouragement come and try and knock us off the pathway of the goodness of God and rob us of our joy and our peace in God, God not only defeats the giants, he wipes them out. And they needed to hear that. And as you walk on the pathway of the goodness of God, God comes alongside you and he says, I've got this. My steadfast love never fails. You don't need to be afraid because the pathway of my goodness is carpeted with my encouragement. That's what the Jews from Pontus needed to hear from the Jesus followers who spoke in that language. Let's just do two more if you can. You're managing. You're keeping focus. Okay, so... Let's look at the next one. The next one I picked, I picked actually number one there, the Parthians, the Jews from Parthia. And let's ask the same questions. Who comes from Parthia? Why did God give the believers a language to speak to the Jews from Parthia? 
And what do they need to be reminded of on the pathway of God's goodness? So who comes from Parthia? So who comes from Parthia? These are the wise men from the east, the so-called forgotten tribe of Israel, and yet they're listed as number one. You see, the Magi, or wise men, mentioned at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, you know, the three wise kings, they were from Parthia. This is, and the context is 600 years ago, the Chaldean king Nebuchadnezzar, he attacked Judah, he just trashed Jerusalem, destroyed Solomon's temple, and he took into captivity a very large percentage of the Jewish population, and a lot of them were still there. But when he took them there, he took some of them into service, and one, and one of them had the Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. His Hebrew Jewish name was Daniel. This is the same Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was chief of the Magi. He was leader of the Jews from Parthia. And Daniel wrote an incredible number of prophecies about Jesus. So let us ask ourselves the question, why did God give the believers a language to speak to the Jews from Parthia? And to answer that, let's just for a moment pretend that we are the Magi, the wise men. We've got a big white beard. Let's put our feet in their sandals. And we, Acts 2, we're listening to the believers speaking to us about, from the book of Daniel. This is, they, they came from Daniel, the Parthians. And we would have heard, for example, one of these prophecies in Daniel. This is a very interesting one of many. We can just look at one of them. Yeah, the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel and he tells him the exact day that Jesus will announce that he's the Messiah. So no one understand this, the angel tells to Daniel, that from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah comes, the ruler, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So... For one minute, we're going to go down a rabbit hole. It's going to be scary. It's going to be dark. We're not going to be able to breathe for the next minute. But you can do this. You'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Just hang in there. Bit of oxygen debt for one minute. What we want to work out, we want to calculate the exact day that the angel Gabriel said that Jesus would declare himself as Messiah. So let's go down the rabbit hole. So what the angel Gabriel says is that the seven sevens and the 62 sevens are years, it's 483 years, in the future, Jesus will declare himself as Messiah. What is the start date of the prophecy? The announcement from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And that is from the Persian king Artaxerxes in on March the 5th, 444 BC. If you read Nehemiah, you read the historians, Josephus, etc. From the time the word went out to Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem is the start date of the prophecy. 483 years in the future is when Jesus would publicly announce himself as Messiah. But now, remember, we're pretending to be the Magi. We're the very clever people. 
So in Daniel's time, a year is different to our year. A year was a lunar year, based on the phases of the moon. And a lunar year was very simple. It was 360 days in a lunar year, 12 months of 30 days. So when you convert that to days, 483 lunar years, just multiply by 360, and you're going to get 173,880 days. But we need to convert that to our calendar, because we want to see what day Jesus announced himself as Messiah. Now, what calendar do we use? We use this, it's a solar one. We use a, a year in our calendar is a time taken for the earth to revolve around the sun. And how many days are in our calendar? You are, to be precise, 365, 5 hours, 48 minutes, 46 seconds, 365.2422. This is very important because we're going to work out the precise date. Okay, so what this means is that you just convert the lunar years, the 43 lunar years to solar years. What do we get? We just take the days, the 1773,880, divided by the number of days in a solar year, which we've worked out as 365.2422. We get 476 years and a bit. The bit, the 0.068, we can convert to days, just multiplied by the 365.2422. We get 24.8 days. So what do we get? And now we're climbing out of the rabbit hole. The time prophesied by Gabriel to Daniel when Jesus would declare himself as King of Jerusalem, as the Messiah, was 476 years and 25 days, starting from... 5th of March, 444 BC. And as we climb out of the rabbit hole, we then find that this brings us to 30th of March, AD 33. What happened on that day? Sorry? That? Yes, exactly. Palm Sunday is when Jesus walked into Jerusalem on that Monday of the Passover week. Remember the Friday he got crucified? That Monday, Jesus walked in, and that is the, when he, he publicly announced himself as Messiah. Up to then, he did it to a few select people, the disciples, the woman at the well. But on that Palm Sunday, when he walked into Jerusalem, the crowd just shouted. They laid down palm branches. They, they, they waved. They, they said, blessed is he, the king, who comes in the name of the Lord. That day was the exact day prophesied by Angel Gabriel, 571 years before. Now, why is that important? Because the wise men couldn't conjure that up. They could not fulfill a prophecy 571 years before. And there was dozens of prophecies from Daniel like that. The exact date, every single prophecy. So what was God speaking to the wise? What did he want them to know? Why did God give the believers a language to speak to the Jews from Parthia? He wanted them to know what? God is sovereign. That's what they needed to know, that he's in control, that Jesus holds us together, that he sustains us. This is what they needed to know, that on the pathway of the goodness of God, we serve a God who holds in his hand our life and all our ways as God gave the word Daniel to speak to King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what they needed to hear. 
These Magi, the wise men, needed to be reminded of the sovereignty of God on the pathway of his goodness. So let's do one more. Bruce, can I do one more? Five minutes. Okay, we'll do one more. This is a, this is a really important one. I'm going to look at Judea. Judea. Judea is important because Jesus was born in Bethlehem in, in Judea. Um, now, the Judean Jews, they heard the goodness of God in their own language. They spoke Aramaic, exactly the same as the Galilean Jews. A little different dialect. But the Judean Jews knew the pathway of the goodness of God. Because as we saw in Acts 2, they were now commemorating the day when God gave them the Torah, the law. And up to this point, for 1,300 years, the pathway of the goodness of God was paved in stone because the law was given to them at Mount Sinai in the tablets of stone. But God explains to us that the pathway is paved in gold because his word, the law of the Lord, is more precious than gold. So also Judah, we can look at that now. Judah is the promised land, Canaan. They knew the goodness of God. So the Judean Jews knew that the pathway of the goodness of God up to that point for 1,300 years was paved in gold because it was the law of the Lord, which is more precious than gold. So you can think of it. They look back. They could see this pathway for 1,300 years paved in gold, carpeted in grace, carpeted in mercy, carpeted in the favor of God that lasts a lifetime, carpeted in encouragement. And yet, what happened to the Judean Jews? They walked their own way. They walked on their own path. They distanced themselves from the pathway of God. And God gave the Jesus follows a language to speak to the Judean Jews to woo them back to the path. And they would have heard, I'm sure, the words from Isaiah. You see, the law of the Lord was good, but let me, we, we know that. You know, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, or your mind. So I'm just rushing a bit here. But this is the word that the Jews from Judea would have heard. The Father heart of God, drawing them back. He said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called to the pathway of my goodness, the more they built their own pathways, the more they went away from me. And they sacrificed the bars and they burnt incense to images. Now listen to the heart of God. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a child to my cheek to feed the child. It's an incredible tender picture. And the picture we get of God is exactly as a father teaching a child to walk. This is the heart of Father God to Judah. I taught you to walk. I lifted you to my cheek to feed me. And yet you walked your own ways. Now, here's the, the key point of it. You see, up to this point, God promised Judah that he would show his love to them again. Now, Hosea means salvation, and this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus means God saves. So up to this point, for 1,300 years, 
the Judean Jews had missed the mark. They had walked on their own pathway. But now there's a radical change in the pathway of the goodness of God. It is no longer paved in gold. It's no longer paved in stone, which represents the law. What is it paved in? From Acts 2 onwards, it's paved by the blood of Jesus. God was giving them a way to walk back onto his path of his goodness. Because you cannot make sense or explain the goodness of God apart from the cross of Jesus. God is good, yes, but it's his grace that extends to us because of the blood of Jesus. It's still carpeted with mercy. Mercy is God's kindness and his goodness. He's just his tenderheartedness to us and his concern. It's still carpeted with grace, which is just the God's riches to us in Christ Jesus that we Declared no longer guilty. It's still carpeted in love. God never ceases to love us. But the difference from Acts 2 onwards in the pathway of the goodness of God is that from that day on, it was paved with the blood of Jesus. So let me finish here. So we cannot make sense of the pathway of the goodness of God without the cross. The Judean Jews had built their own pathways. Now there was a way to come back. And I'll close with this slide. You see, God gave the believers a language to speak to the Judean Jews that he has prepared a pathway for each of us. And it's a pathway marked with only the best that Father our God has for each of us. It's a pathway paved with the blood of Jesus. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for opening it up to us. Lord, we are just overwhelmed that you have prepared a pathway for each of us, paved in the blood of Jesus. We thank you for carpeting it with your encouragement that we can overflow with hope all the days of our life. We thank you that you are sovereign we thank you that you sustain and hold us together. We just thank you for this pathway that, you've, that we can walk hand in hand with an extraordinary God. We just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And, and I pray this morning for Lighthouse that you will just seal this truth on their hearts. Thank you for bringing them on this path. Thank you that Lighthouse you've commissioned to bring people that all are welcome in Lighthouse, in this local church. All are welcome on the pathway of the goodness of God. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for being so, so good to us. Amen.